This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pat him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Men Cave in Melbourne Law Studio in our undisclosed location in the Piney Woods. Really nippy today. Um, and, uh, you know, even. Uh, uh, you know, a little chill on cows, probably going to want some hay and just that wing another like a belly full of something when it gets cold. So we got our work to do at the farm area. But uh, we're still not as bad as some of the country is. Wow. Some are getting clocked with, you know, glo global warming, right? I thought it was all about global warming. And we're getting these record snowfalls and people running off the road and stuck in uh, snowstorms. And I tell you, if you haven't lived until you've been stuck in one of those things, I was stuck uh, in one at the uh, just beyond Empire. Uh, going the way to Winter Park one winter, uh, and that thing extended uh, all the way up the mountain and down the mountain, snowing like crazy. Um, and uh, we sat there for hours. And uh, what had happened at the um, coming out of the Winter Park uh, uh, ski resort, uh, tour bus had gone off the road. So uh, we were really in a uh, just sitting there at the mercy of something we couldn't see, and uh, we didn't know how long we'd be there. So <clears throat> I think. Uh, uh, what we need is uh, to understand that always carry your your backup mess kit, I guess, is the theme. Uh, when you strike out in these kind of weather situations, uh, you know, carry, carry something, warm clothes, carry, you know, you have your batteries all charged up and even have a little, uh, you know, survival food. You don't know. And um, it can happen. And uh, even on these, these, these parking lots, I, not the term I've learned, I stay off the interstate system as much as I can. And I'm learning it's a parking lot. And parking lot means that there's so much traffic gorging the interstate that they can't move. Uh, there's really no accident. It's just too many people. 352-325-3938 uh, on the Melon Law Hotline. Uh, Jeffrey Melon, one of our great sponsors here on the Melon Law and all our other sponsors who are helping us. And we're constantly struggling and fighting the battle of uh, censorship. We are making the marquee out there as one of the entities, which is not a uh, supporting the approval narrative, which I went over with yesterday. <clears throat> and if you're not a supporter of the proven narrative, why well, you run a risk of being uh, sort of um, uh, taken care of, taken out, if you will, uh, uh, all the above, et cetera. So um, uh, I see the class is coming in. There's Jackie. She's in her place, in her seat. Uh, so appreciate that. I always go over to wordscottfiles.com as soon as the show's over. And we post there. We also keep uh, the mugshots there, and uh, that's a tremendously popular hit to have. Uh, and we keep everything archived on awardscottfiles.com, from which someday we may actually broadcast. Um, it is getting increasingly difficult to tippy-toe through the minefields of the uh, Silicon Valley platforms. When you take into account uh, Twitter and, um, and, uh, and Facebook and all these people who believe that they hold the uh, definition of community standards and their 
uh, in their clutches. And uh, when you try to deal with them, you deal with algorithms. So you don't really deal with people. Uh, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I'm going to get into how artificial intelligence is jeopardizing uh, even more than uh, just, uh, you know, communication among humans in, in a traditional way later in the show if I have time. It's a story that I've been uh, wanting to cover for a while. Uh, but we may actually go over there and broadcast from that platform. Uh, that would be our platform. They can't be controlled there. <clears throat> It'll take a little more money. But we've got some good donors who are really helping us out uh, in eventuality that we need these kind of backup systems. And, and uh, they won't come free. And uh, we'll put the plea out for you if that should happen. But we could uh, be taken uh, down and go dark here all of a sudden, and you'll have to hunt for us. And the way to find us is over on wardscottfiles.com. So, um, uh, and also, uh, we're broadcasting simultaneously live right now on YouTube. So um, we're doing the best we can in an uncertain world, as we say. Uh, I always start out kind of uh, talking about local things. And I guess I would be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, once again, the COVID confusion, what I call COVID confusion, and that is the mask or not the mask and uh, um, the jab or not the jab, to send your child to school or not to send your child to school, to obey the local people or to obey the governor, all this kind of stuff. And we have the same thing going on here now that we had circle back right where we were, so to speak, in uh, what did we do? How do we protect ourselves? How bad is Omicron? Uh, all the data that I've been able to get, and who knows, it's um, always a moving target, is that it uh, it strikes, but it's not the serious stuff. It'll make you uncomfortable. You'll kind of uh, uh, feel miserable, but it's not going to put you on death's door. It seems that there's a hidden plus to that. And that the more varieties, and this is, um, correct me if I'm wrong now, you guys who are up on this, but the more varieties of this virus it's spin off, and the more people come in contact with it, the weaker the virus becomes because the people have been hit with it in so many different forms that they begin to develop, uh, you know, fighters to respond to it. So apparently that's one of the pluses. And apparently one of the things that will happen soon, perhaps, is as a peaks. Uh, I think it's more severe in the northern climes that were the winter and the heat and, and confinement uh, out in the countryside, perhaps. But um uh, I don't know. I think it's just once again, uh, luck of the draw. You should be, of course, an opinion of the experts of that not only vaccinated, but boosted. And that diminishes greatly the chances of you having a serious encounter with this. Um, so locally, COVID is a uh, is a is a real uh, uh, issue, uh, as you can imagine. But it's also been turned into an attack on the Republicans. And the reason I want to talk about this is even I was attacked by my fellow Republicans when I predicted uh, and they claimed, therefore, that I was um, not a Republican or not. I mean, I'm really not any of that. I'm just a professor. Uh, I resist being put into these boxes, uh, you know, as the uh, conservative Republican or as he were right. You know, that, they label you in spite of your attempt to not be labeled. I'm just a critical thinking coach. That's really all I am. And if it falls sometimes on the Democrat side of the aisle, fine. If it falls sometime on the Republican side, fine. But I'm a really critical thinking coach. It's not anything else but that. And so I do a lot of looking around to see what's happening. And of course, what I'm asking you all to do now is really be wary of uh, being caught up by the only version of the narrative that is going to be approved. 
And there are many players that are pushing this. Uh, the Silicon Valley kids, um, the, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, the uh, Googles, all these people are liberal and they push the liberal interpretation of the narrative. New York Times is infamous, infamously liberal. And I, I, I read it. I read it. Uh, I read the liberal stuff. I read the conservative stuff. I read the stuff from overseas. Um, I uh, read some of the underground stuff. <clears throat> I try to distill it all into some kind of understandable narrative. So um, we've kept up the picture here in my background here for some time now of the of the uh, lockdown capital. And that's going to become increasingly uh, um, interesting as we get uh, over to January 6th, which is just a couple of days away. So there's been a lot of preparation as far as, you know, in a way, this is the way I tell Doug, the way I interpret this is there's been a lot of preparation for, um, you know, really besmirching the Republicans from all sorts of ways. And one of the ways that they've been uh, setting about to do this, to cast aspersions on anybody who is a Trumper or a deplorable or any of the names that they've been called, is to also talk about him in terms of COVID. Now, there's a guy named Paul Krugman who writes for the New York Times. And um, he uh, thought, and he starts out his article, which I want to go through with you. Um, uh, that's right, Lloyd Bailey, as a, a Republican college professor is an anomaly. A Republican law professor, Lloyd, at the University of Florida is an anomaly. Uh, the last time I checked, it was just one. Uh, so, uh, and he was a friend of mine and he was cautious about himself. Because um, you don't get it put on committees, you don't get grants, you don't get, there's a number of ways to uh, hold your head underwater, if you will. Um, I thought of that metaphor because of Lloyd being a diver. Um, the, but but the, the COVID, um, uh, the question this liberal writer for the liberal paper, New York Times, poses is so why haven't we gotten past the pandemic? And um, you know he does acknowledge that the, uh, the virus is, is is it can mutate and it has various forms and uh, has various lethalities and transmissibilities. But what he really emphasizes is the reason we can't get past and you here it comes and get ready for this narrative and this is all part of the a national uh, attempt to convince you that there is a certain way to think and do things. Uh, what he's getting ready to say, and I'm going to go through the piece with you and, and comment on as we go, uh, he's getting ready to say that the reason we can't get past the COVID pandemic is because of the politically motivated lies about the vaccine. And uh, of course, you know exactly who the liars are, the perpetrators of the lies are going to be. Really, if you have been keeping up with this political dichotomy invented by the media, you know immediately who's going to be blamed for the perpetuity of perpetuating the lies. That's going to be the Republicans and the conservatives. So I'm going to go through how his mind works here so that you'll understand the narrative. And then you can make up your own mind how you feel you fit into it. Um, the, the basic point that Krugman makes in the New York Times article, which is fresh off the press, by the way, is that... Um, According to the surveys that he holds uh, 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 significant, there's one called the KFF survey, which you can look up. It's another group that measures and marks and keeps track of uh, all the data on COVID. Uh, supposedly, it found that 60% of the unvaccinated people were Republicans. 60% of people who, for whatever reason, uh, refuse to 
get vaccinated are Republicans. Now, I'm going to say to you that this is either true or it's being used by the left to make the truth. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is all part of getting ready to blame the deplorables for the sorry state of the democracy. That's what this show is about. And it's titled today, Printing Money, but it's all the way through, I'm going to go all the way through entitlements. I'm going to go through all the stuff that's going on right now that I've gathered up to this point that illustrates the very, very comprehensive attack on Republicans and Trump people and anybody who uh, questions the election or anybody who uh, doesn't get vaccinated. It's all very comprehensive. And the Republicans are really always seems to me caught shorthanded. They were absolutely caught flat-footed by the Zuckerberg money, which I'm going to uh, go over again a little bit with you, just to let you know that's a very important component of it. Um, and I'm going to talk about some developments locally about the election that are just breaking out that I think are hopeful for our investigation. So stay tuned right now. There's a lot coming up in the next few minutes on the Ward Scott Files. You may message me at 352-325-3938 on the Melbourne hotline. And I do look over here and check your comments. So um, um, here, here is the narrative that's being, um, um, well, I don't know if it's being created, but it's being uh, put together by Krugman, in this case, in the New York Times article. Uh, um, the survey shows uh, that he cites that 60% of the unvaccinated people are Republicans. That's uh, compared with only 17% who are Democrats. Now, let me tell you, I don't necessarily trust what I read. I go to the field if I can. And I have a friend, as I've told you, who uh, was hired to distribute the vaccine way back when, uh, when it first came out and we had a bunch of it and we we're trying to get people to take it and we're giving it away. And it was specifically the Pfizer vaccine, which has to be used once it's opened or you can't reuse it. Uh, it doesn't take well to being kept like Moderna. Moderna can be kept, as I understand it, but Pfizer can't. And so they were distributing the Pfizer in South Florida. They couldn't get the blacks to take it. The blacks considered it to be white man's voodoo or maybe white man's attempt to knock them off. And so he couldn't give the shot away. And now, what, do you suppose they were Republicans? Uh, I doubt it. I, I very seriously, I don't know very many black Republicans. Um, it's just a herd mentality. You're talking about a herd mentality. You got it. And, and it's taken for granted by the left wing whites. So this man has reported to me quite insistently for several months that at the end of the day, they frequently took the Pfizer vaccine and threw it in the, in the ocean. I mean, they didn't have anybody to take it. So I, I'm just telling you as I go through this that I, I know there's other data, but I'm telling you how the narrative is being written. And if you're participating in the creation of the, of the narrative by being a Republican and not getting vaccinated, you're playing right into their hands, okay? And they're going to use this <clears throat> to beat you over the head with it. So uh, this is uh, the 17% only, according to this Krugman, are Democrats who haven't been um, vaccinated. And when they go down to the county level data, they find on average a one percentage point higher Trump share of the 2020 vote corresponds to about a half point reduction in the county's vaccination rate. So they are tying the vaccination rate to the Trump vote. And, and I, I, I have to applaud the imagination and the, and, and the uh, intestinal fortitude and stamina of the left wing because they never stop writing the narrative. 
of these guys, I've got to give them an A in creative writing because they, they make up more fictions and they control what your mind has in it. Uh, and, you know, Obama even went so far as actually hire a dude to do this and put him in the basement below the Oval Office and said, write the stories that we're going to give the press. And the press just got them and ate them up like piranha, you know. So um, Krugman says there are three important lies that keep being repeated by Republican politicians and right wing media. Now, I got to look high and low for right wing media. I guess I've been labeled as such. I am not a right wing media. I am a critical thinking professor. And if a critical thinking professor makes me sound as if I'm right wing, well, then that's in the ear of the person listening. It's not what I'm projecting. And all I'm doing is going through this article as if it were a student who had turned it into me. And I'm going to take a look at it and see if everything adds up. And so now Krugman says there are three important lies that are repeated by Republicans and Republican politicians and right wing media without ever giving us an example of right-wing media. Uh, and I'm trying to think of a right-wing media outlet right now. Maybe Heritage found it. I don't know. So come up with one. Message me here. Let me know. I'll take a look at it if you know. Um, so here they are. Uh, the first is the claim that coronavirus is no big deal. He, the, Krugman claims in his article for the New York Times, uh, and you can go get it and take a look at the article too. You don't need me. Um, <laughs> that only the Republicans, well, mostly, 60% at least, that corresponds to the unvaccinated, uh, coronavirus is no big deal, okay? Um, it's no worse than the common cold and those people who die in the, in the place and go on the ventilators and, and all that kind of stuff, they already had comorbidities and, uh, you know, they didn't take care of themselves. Maybe they were stinkerette smokers, who knows? But uh, it's no big deal, uh, in many ways, it isn't. If you don't get it, it isn't. And, and here's the point. If you do, it is. It's no big deal that people are in car wrecks. I mean, uh, it really isn't as long as you're not in one. But if you're in one, it's a hell of a big deal. So can you prevent car wrecks? Well, you take measures to try to prevent it. I mean, you take people's licenses away. You license them. Uh, you have cops. You traffic lights. All this crap is put out there to try to diminish the chance that you, the innocent person, will get creamed in a car wreck. And, and you know, to, to a certain extent, one can reason, but I don't know how you really know if, it, if you didn't have them, uh, uh, that it's partially successful. So if, if, if you can't stop car wrecks with all the things that we have in place, then do we just throw out all the things we have in place? That becomes an argument that I can pose right away. Uh, it's, you know, and maybe not, you know, that's not that I'm trying to convince anybody. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, okay. So corona, coronavirus is no big deal. No big deal as long as you don't get it. Okay. So um, uh, he's claiming that belongs to the Republicans, though. And, uh, uh, and even goes back to, he's even called up the name of Rush Limbaugh who's been dead, I know, at least for a year from stinkerette smoking and lung cancer, who compared the virus to a common cold. Ye gods, that's way back in the primitive days and stages of the virus. I thought that was a cheap shot in the article. 
why do you drag the dead man in here who can't defend himself and quote him out of con? I don't know the context in which Limbaugh said it. So, you know, here I am grading this New York Times writer's paper, okay? And I'll let you listen to me as my mind goes through it. Now, he also calls up the, uh, the right-wing political figure of Marco Rubio. And he dismisses the response to Omicron, according to Krugman, as irrational hysteria. Uh, because the variant appears to cause relatively few hospitalizations among the fully vaccinated. Now, here goes the kicker. See, he, he, he has set up Rubio, and then he's going to use Rubio to actually uh, cast again, make his point about the Republican. Rubio is a Republican. Rubio says, if you're fully vaccinated, probably you won't be hospitalized. Um, but listen, what you didn't say in this example of Rubio is whether Rubio himself is vaccinated. It makes a tremendous difference. So here is really what we call a red herring or even in, an ad hominem. It's an attack on Marco Rubio, who hasn't got a chance to defend himself. And it's an incomplete uh, prejudice use of him. Because you don't establish, if your premise is that the unvaccinated are Republicans and the vaccinated are Democrats, then you, need, you can't set Rubio up as a straw character, use him, and not cite whether he's vaccinated. So that, that, and here's the point. When you find a writer doing something like that, you might as well have a red alarm go off in your brain and say, that guy is getting no more than a C. And the reason the person should get no more than a C is this, P this person is a cheater, okay? This writer is a cheater. And this writer is, is, is cheating in, in a, out of, from a group that cheats all the time, and that's the New York Times. And all their thinkers and writers think and write this way. But they are not the exception in this country to the narrative. They are joined as a chorus by the Atlantic, uh, by ABC, by NBC, by CBS, by the Washington Post, uh, you, CNN, you know, it is a chorus of cheaters. And by cheaters, I mean cheating logic. I tell the students all the time, the reason you want to learn to write well is so that you won't be cheated. If you don't know the rules, I can cheat you because you don't know when I broke the rules, okay? So the first thing you've got to do is know all the rules and you've got to practice them. And if you know all the rules, you'll know when you're being cheated. But if you don't know all the rules, how in the heck are you going to know when you're being cheated? Now, this is a very simple error in rhetorical logic here that anybody worth his salt as a professor would find instantly, instantly, that you can't use Rubio unless it, it Rubio sticks to your premise, which is that based upon surveys that you've cited that you haven't used any others to, to compare to, just the ones you found that perhaps now I'm suspicious, you see, of those surveys, because maybe they're the convenient ones to his argument, because everything else so far is convenient to his argument or it doesn't appear. So <clears throat> next paragraph is, he says, conservative commentators erupted in rage when Biden pointed out reasonably. Now, there you go. 
You see, the conservative commentators are hysterical, subject to emotional outbursts, and Biden isn't. You've got to be kidding me. You, you can't, you, you know, here's another thing. He cites Biden specifically, but he cites no conservative commentators in that sentence. Now, later on, he'll cite Tucker Carlson and and he'll he'll say that Tucker Carlson accused Biden of treating the unvaccinated as subhumans. I don't know whether that's taken out of context or whether it's convenient use. Um, uh, but I have uh, you do know that that uh, Biden is that, that that's basically what's going on here is that if you are a conservative and you haven't been vaccinated, you are subhuman. Why? Because you don't care about the humans as a group. Your unvaccinated behavior is prolonging the pandemic. That's the premise of this article. Your unvaccinated behavior is prolonging the pandemic. And then he says, finally, uh, there's two other claims that the Republicans claim, and that is that the vaccination is ineffective. Um, this is, uh, I, I, I don't have an example of a Republican who claimed it, but uh, I mean, it, you know, the science is the science, okay? It's pretty difficult to refute the science. Uh, obviously, uh, you can refute science, and I know scientists who refute science. It's, it's nuts because it doesn't fit their, their, their need to believe. And, and, and I can understand, you know, human beings contorting themselves that way. But the science is the science. And I'm going to get into that after the break about Galileo and Copernicus. And, and to show you there's nothing new about science being uh, uh, you know, slow to be taken up, even by scientists. So because uh, there's always religion with Galileo and Copernicus. And all, it was the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church was not about to listen to the theories of Copernicus and Galileo and all that. That wasn't going to happen. You know, they were not going to let that see the light of day. They censored that. OK, so we're not dealing basically and fundamentally here with anything new. This is the way humans work and think and operate. And they're flawed. They're flawed all over the place. I mean, they, they, they're, they're suspicious. They're they, they think straight up to a point and then their mind scatters like buckshot. And, you know, it's just people. So it takes a very, very well-disciplined uh, human being to, to really think clearly through all these issues. And it's very, I, it's very Victor Davis Hanson is one. Some couple of the others that come to mind, Thomas Sowell probably. Not many, not many, no. Uh, and finally, there, there is the, there's the claim that, well, really, it's all about freedom. You know, I'm free. And therefore, I don't really, and you know, that's even for me, that's easy to refute. You're not free. We're not free ever. We're loaned the right to be responsible until we're irresponsible. You're not free to drive down the road in a car without a license. Because you'll get stopped. Well, maybe you won't, but if you do, you're, you're in trouble. Now, once upon a time, you didn't need a license, okay? Let's go back to how that happened. Once upon a time, you didn't need a license to drive a car. 
Why did you finally reach the point where they needed a license to drive a car? Because there were too many people driving the car irresponsibly, threatening the safety of the others who weren't driving irresponsibly. So as a society, we decided we'll figure this out. We'll give them a, uh, a license, which we can take away, and therefore we can take them off the road. But it never got to that point until we had all these people who didn't act personally responsible. Now, when they acted personally responsible, they were free. But here's the point, and I'm going to entertain this one a little more carefully because it's some truth here. Uh, when you don't act responsibly, uh, then you take away the freedom of everybody else who does. And that's kind of where this guy is sneaking up with this third claim. He's saying, you know, look, the science works, and therefore, if you want to get, help us all in this pandemic, you'll get vaccinated too, because that'll be one more element that will make the roads safe, okay? But that's not appealing to people. That, that you know, because you, you, you know why? There's nothing you can take away from them. Now, you can take a car away from them with the example of the car. And in some places in this country, they have taken it away from you. We showed a film the other day of the New York police escorting a, an unvaccinated family out of a New York restaurant. And if you're not vaccinated in New York City, you're not going to go out in the public and sit down and eat in a restaurant. And that's a Democrat-controlled city. So there's probably something to that claim that the most tenuous and difficult one to really defend is this is all about freedom because you have cherry picked. If you think this particular thing's about freedom, it's going to be very easy to show you that there's all kinds of freedoms you are loaned. And who made up the mind? Not the government. We, the people, decided that there were so many bad drivers, we had to do something about it. So we asked the government to do something about it. And it became what it is now with all the licensing and all the testing and all that. It still doesn't work. So here we go. Uh, the conclusion is vaccination is a personal choice. He does acknowledge that. Um, but uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is been turned into a political football. And had there uh, uh, been a, uh, uh, had the Republicans, and this is the conclusion, had the Republicans not been vaccine obstructionists, uh, there would have been a current plan, a coherent plan, and Biden would have been successful. I don't agree, of course, with the conclusion. I think it's all crap because I don't think it breaks out that way. I think there are Democrats who don't take the shot. Uh, I think they're Republican and this and that. I do think the personal freedom thing is the most bogus one uh, of all uh, because I can refute that one pretty easily. But of course, um, that's your uh, business right now. But I think, as I predicted, you will find more and more that you will not go to that restaurant. And there's a joke out right now, of course, about Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez fleeing New York to come down to Miami and sit around down there in the drag bar without a mask on and enjoy freedom. And, uh, you know, that was a big brouhaha. And she turned it into one of the weirdest responses. All oh, you Republicans are just mad because you can't date me. you got this sexual obsession with me. Man, now you tell me, 
I, 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 I've heard a lot of stuff, but that really turning sexuality into a into a, a political issue. I guess it's possible. I mean, that's what I wanted to conclude this analysis of the New York Times article with <laughs> Alexander Ocasio-Cortez turned sexuality into a political issue. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. We'll be right back on the Ward Scott Files. I need a little extra break here to get a throat uh, kind of uh, soothed here. But that, that's what I wanted to go through. And I'm talking today about the narrative, my friends and my students, the narrative and critical thinking. I'm a critical thinking professor, I hope, anyway. And you're my students. You're right back. I'll talk about Galileo in a minute when we get back. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, Gators Dockside, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. Achtung, Achtung, the papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. We are going to search your belongings. Mach schnell! Ken Cornell, known as the thin-skinned water boy. Ken Cornell. Known as Minnie Mike and Cornell Wears elevator shoes and Cornell He just wants to be like Check this out, Warthog He's gonna come up the steps Here he comes Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Before I continue with my... Uh, a little tough discussion here about the narrative. I want to just give you an update. Uh, I may move this around a little bit, but um, I'm going to bring it up right now before I forget it. You know, we've been having this investigation into the uh, behavior of the local <coughs> supervisor of elections. And uh, we have gotten now information that uh, um, probably portends that the FDLE, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, maybe is going to be coming out with a report pretty soon because uh, we have information now 
that the Florida Department of Law Enforcement has, um, and they must have been the ones who put the pressure on the Supervisor Elections Office to purge uh, from the voter rolls all those people we found, with the exception of one uh, or two, who, and there was some 30, uh, whom we found had voted illegally here in the Alachua County Jail. So um, uh, that's information I wanted to get in here with you um, and, uh, and keep you up to date on. I can't say too much more about it right now because that's all I know. And we, uh, or, of course, we're left to, to figure out what all that means. But we do know that supervisor elections, and we got the memo here from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, uh, <clears throat> has, they've now purged those people, which they should have done without us ever having to find them. Uh, I want to applaud the instigator investigator once again for excellent work on that. You know, uh, this, um, uh, th th this, this issue of um, um, what is the truth and what is politically acceptable is nothing new. And, uh, and I started to do a little research on it. And um, uh, I found this interesting article about Galileo and the pandemic of his time. There was a plague during Galileo's time. And um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it affected uh, really uh, what uh, the Copernican ideas um, that uh, were just publicly beginning to emerge. Um, this is uh, an interesting uh, analysis uh, by a uh, um, postdoctoral fellow at the uh, History of Science in Berlin. Um, he is, uh, Wall Street Journal printed it, some other places picked it up. Um, and he is, uh, uh, he, has, he has a doctorate in the history of science and technology. And uh, uh, he, he received it at Johns, John Hopkins University. And he received it, he says, right in the middle of when the pandemic had up in, in, up in this current one we have, had up ended his personal professional life. And um, uh, it, was, it was very difficult for him to uh, submit his papers and, his, and, and complete his data analysis and all that because it was, uh, uh, they had to isolate so much. But then he got interested in this issue of scientists isolating themselves and doing science, if you will, from home. And he, uh, he became very interested in Galileo who, uh, uh, Commonly, he's, he's referred to as somebody who was in, involved in the battle between science and religion, and the Catholic Church condemned him, uh, had him uh, retract a book, and uh, it was early in the 17th century, there was a top cardinal who warned Galileo that unless there, quote, were a true demonstration that the sun, not the earth, is at the center of the world, he couldn't teach his Copernican ideas publicly. And the reason he said this uh, top cardinal was that the scriptures appear contrary to the science. So here we go. You know, we know this also with Darwin and the theory of evolution and how that conflicts with the strict interpretation you find in uh, the creation stories of the Bible. And so we have this really archetypical type of conflict between science and religion. And the reason I reference this is there are many, many people who object, and this is left out of Krugman's paper, they object to the, um, any kind of vaccinations on the basis of religion. Uh, one of the people who comes to mind right now is the great Djokovic, who is number one in the world in tennis. Maybe this was somewhat what was eating away at the brain of Aaron Rodgers, who had some kind of homespun uh, concoction that he felt did the same thing as science. <clears throat> you know, there's all kinds of quirky things out there you can do. 
um, that uh, appear to replace science. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is nothing new. But uh, years later, Galileo, according to this historian, was encouraged by Pope Urban VIII to publish his observations. And the book became known as a dialogue on the two chief world systems. So at least there was a book published. Evidently, it was going to be published. And um, it was going to be objectively analyzed and looked at. And, um, um, you know, it had to be submitted to the Vatican for a censorship check. The chief uh, censor was a Dominican friar who was friendly to Galileo. And, um, and he was aware that the Copernican ideas weren't supposed to be taught publicly. Um, and it really took several decades, decades now, for observational confirmation of, of Copernicus to appear. Uh, I'm talking decades, now decades, 10 years. So we're into the, the coronavirus thing, what? Uh, and this is one of the arguments that the people make who don't want to be vaccinated. Well, you don't have any long-term studies. You know, we don't know 10 years from now, but what, is a three-headed boy going to grow out of my arm? You know, or my whole DNA is all screwed up, and I won't know it for 10 or 15 years. You take a guy that's at the end of the, you know, the life cycle, it doesn't matter. You're going to live another 10 or 15 years anyway. So it's all relative, right? And it, um, so anyway, um, there, was, there was some decision. Uh, the censor approved the book, and um, Galileo returned to, uh, to, with the manuscript, and uh, I was ready for it to be publicized. And then the plague hit Italy. Uh, political borders closed. People stayed inside. The main sponsor of Galileo's book died. Uh, Galileo couldn't get the book published. Um, the, the censor in Rome agreed to ship the book to Florence. Uh, but there were lockdowns in place then. The book was sent in parts. Um, this is all science and religion. And then the complication known as the plague, which we now call the pandem pandemic. Uh, when the book finally came out, um, it was irregular in its, in its presentation. Its narrative was um, really difficult to confirm. Galileo had to write about the scientific impossibility to confirm the hypothesis, which was an idea upheld by Pope Urban. And um, Galileo decided to write it in such a way that the claim that Copernicanism couldn't be proved uh, came across as ridiculous, and that upset the Pope. So there was a lot of politics involved. This is the point of this historical look to put this conversation in perspective that I've just been talking with you about uh, that Krugman writes about politics get involved. I mean, I, I you know, it, 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 people who think that politics, you know, you can stay out of it. No, you can't stay out of it. It will come and find you. So um, the book was taken out of circulation. Um, uh, the Roman Inquisition came along. Um, and, uh, it, it, you know, the book really was tenuous and it was a big battle over the narrative between science and religion. And, and uh, it was always uh, 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 iffy if it would ever be uh, something that were clearly and, 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 and uh, objectively studied and eventually the premise sort of accepted. And we're just talking about what's at the center of the universe, right? Uh, our little universe. And, you know, we're not really talking about the center of the universe anyway. Are we? We're just talking about our little corner, which is very, very small. So um, this postdoctoral fellow took it upon himself to figure out whether the Krugmans of the world were right or not that this pandemic thing was an exception, or are we dealing with human behavior? And, and we're dealing with, let's face it, human behavior.
it's um, it, it, it's it's not anything that, that you can uh, really change. Human behavior is human behavior. Now, one of the things that is really part of the narrative, and I'm kind of going through the narrative today, are, is all this stuff about the climate. You know, it's undergone several names. OK, it's been called. Let me see if I can remember. Uh, before global warming it was called something else. Been called a bunch of things. Um, so I, I, I don't I, I don't know. It's um, had several. But now it's called climate change. And um, the prediction now by the guys who've really been studying this stuff coming up for uh, 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 2022 is that because of the sheer um, and this is being written by guys in Germany and France, because it's appearing first in Germany and France, the actual financial feasibility of making an economy go using the premise that these climate change advocates want to use, that is you got to go green energy, you got to go, you got to go solar and all that are absolute, and you got you, you got to store it all in batteries are absolutely impractical. And the first ones to begin to understand it um, are really coming out of Prime Minister Boris Johnson in England, according to this uh, analysis by uh, these fellows from Germany, whose names are uh, uh, Joseph Sternberg. So the the um, the 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 um, it's becoming more and more apparent that net zero carbon dioxide emissions by 2050 are are uh, you know some sort of wishful thinking. Uh, what do we you talk say what again? Net zero carbon dioxide emissions by 2050. Um, this is the kind of crap that's been going on in the global climate conferences held in Glasgow. And it's just not feasible, given population pressures, given the standards of living, given the economies and what they're based on. And, um, uh, you know, this attempt even in England to steer households away from gas boilers. Um, 86 percent of the Eng people in England rely on gas boilers for hot water and central heating. Now, we just saw uh, the, U the University of Florida reject GRU's overture to run its uh, utility needs and pick up Duke Energy, and they're going to supply it by gas, the energy by gas, okay, to heat the boilers. I know I have a friend who is in charge of all that stuff. He was on a committee with me. So it's not practical to do that crap off of a solar or wind, for God's sakes. Nuclear, maybe, but ain't nobody going to build a nuclear reactor in the middle of Gainesville. So, um, the, 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 we're, we're back to natural gas. It's here. And this is something Biden has put the lid on. Um, but small businesses will not make it uh, with parking lots that, are, uh, 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 that have to install electric vehicle charging points. Um, it ain't going to work. I mean, you've got to have the electricity generated somewhere. And you're going to come along as a government <clears throat> and tell these small businesses You've got to install an electric vehicle charging point. Um, so they found that out in mixed-use developments in um, in in, uh, in, uh, in England. That it just it, the difficulty installing these charging stations um, really was overwhelming, and the expense of it. Um, so some of the most alarming, according to Mr. Sternberg, who's German, 
uh, some of the most surprising climate realism is going on not in the United States of America, where you have these hysterical Alexandra Ocasio-Cortezes, you have it emerging in Europe. And the French and the English and all these people <clears throat> are beginning to realize, hell, this won't work. I mean, it's, um, you know, you're going to double down on our industrial policy and, 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 and render us absolutely destitute. So um, this green investment stuff and private investors, in spite of Greta Thunberg, I mean, she is one of the weirdest people. I'm sorry. I apologize. A teen activist like Greta Thunberg. Uh, <clears throat> where in the world do we get these people? And um, in Germany, where this man's writing, households and businesses starting to pay some of the highest electricity prices in Europe since uh, Merkel wanted to shift to renewable power. My God, look at Gainesville. You shift to renewable power and, the, and, the, and it's going to cost you out to yin-yang for your utilities and it's going to kill affordable housing. It's going to kill East Gainesville, the minorities. So, you know, come on. I mean, why don't you have a brain and think this stuff through? Um, <clears throat> the uh, uh, net zero gimmick, though, they call it a gimmick. Sternberg calls it a gimmick. Uh, well, we'll be here for a while until the green true believers, he calls them green true believers, um, uh, can be isolated. And it's going to take political pressure and, and, and uh that's going to come from an, from from a realization of that uh, you can't you, you, it doesn't work economically. And uh, right now, though, according to Sternberg, the political and we're talking about narratives here. Uh, the political class remains rhetorically wedded, and that's the metaphor here: rhetorically wedded uh, to climate uh, change or whatever the heck that is. And, and, and that's all part of the narrative. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, it's going to take a new generation of politicians. They're going to have to come about to represent those who realize it economically doesn't work. Uh, you know, I, I can't you know, just a battle for the lithium for the batteries alone. There's a big war going on in Africa for that. Uh, that's not an easy thing to make work. Um, um, so, so you got to you got to kind of pay attention to to uh, what we've got here. Now, where is the money coming from? Uh, this, this, this really, uh, I thought was pretty interesting. Therefore, I put it in the class discussion today, students. Where is the money coming from? We know where it's coming from. Those of us who have businesses and those of us who, who have retirement funds. And I tell you right now, if you got any money in a bank, savings account, get it out of there. Because the best you can get maybe is 3%. Really, and that's a really good. Most of them, maybe you're just getting 1%. Now you ain't, you're getting killed because the inflation is 5 or 6%. So you're losing 4 or 5% of the value, value of your savings if you got it stuck in up and get it out of there. Put it in some place where you can at least mark time. And that's another thing that Biden's doing. Now, how is Biden pulling off this shell game? He's pulling it off. Does this surprise you? By printing money. <clears throat> this is Thomas Hornig. He's a rebel in his Federal Reserve, and he's written about this in Politico. And, it, and I put it in the auto, Midnight Auto Yard a while back. I found it so interesting. He, in 2010, he was the president of the Federal Reserve Regional Bank in Kansas City. Uh, he was on the most powerful uh, policy committee in the country, and he kept voting no 
uh, about this printing money thing and everybody else. Oh, what the hell? You know, we got to keep it floating. And so he was outvoted uh, between 2008 and 2014. The Federal Reserve, uh, and this is an article by him, uh, printed more than in Politico, printed more than three point five trillion dollars in new bills. And to put that in perspective, he says it's roughly triple the amount of money that the Fed created in its first 95 years of existence. OK, we printed more money in six years, 2008, 2014, than we did in the previous 95 years of existence. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, Three centuries worth of growth in the money supply was crammed into a few short years, he says. And this money poured through the veins of the financial system and stoked demand for assets like stocks and corporate debt and commercial real estate bonds. And it drove up the prices across the market. <clears throat> and this created this inflation. Um, this guy was worried that the Fed was taking a risky path that would deepen income inequality. It would create asset bubbles and it would enrich big banks and it would destabilize the entire financial system. Those of you who are uh, astute and study the financial system, we are really a house of cards. Uh, it's just a ticking time bomb. And you see it in all sorts of ways. You see empty shelves in your stores. You see the price go up. Or you see the same price, but you get less content. Um, you know, it, it's just, it, you know, and if you want to check, check with the person who does the shopping at the grocery store. Um, you know, you can bring home the cereal and the box looks like it's full and you open it up, it's half full. There's all sorts of ways to cheat the public uh, to try to make them think everything's hunky-dory when actually um, inflation is rising faster than the Fed ever believed it would a few months ago. You've got higher prices for gas and goods and automobiles uh, because you've got this unprecedented money printing program, this dissenting Fed uh, 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 member, committee member says, Honeg, um, uh, to respond to the rising inflation, uh, the Fed's going to have to raise the interest rates and, and, and that will cause stock and bond markets to fall or maybe even cause a recession. You know, this is a tricky deal. You know, if you've got, you don't want any sharp peaks and valleys in the economy. You want a steady, steady, steady growth. And you can't do that by, here's another way. Biden has used COVID to destabilize the economy by printing money to give it to people to discourage them from working. And this is another thing that you can see when you ride around uh, uh, the town. Look at all the now hiring signs. You can't get anybody to work. <clears throat> It's a, uh, why should they? They're being paid not to work. I, I know people who just magically had money appear in their, in their checking account. And my God, they take a look, they get a letter from Biden saying, oh, you deserve this. You need this to get through the hump. They ain't no hump. Come on. Ain't no hump like there was for my mother in the depression. <clears throat> so you're going to have high unemployment. You're going to have social instability. And you're going to have economic malaise. And, and you know, that's where we're headed. Now, throw all this into some camouflage stuff that the progressive left is doing, chasing down Trump and deplorables, claiming they caused an insurrection. What was the root cause of the insurrection? Crap like this was the root cause. You think that's going to show up in the committee? I was going to get into that today and I won't have time. I'll probably get into that tomorrow. Um, 
So, you know, you, hey, I've seen long lines at the gas stations and I've seen price tags uh, replaced so, so much that you can't put a price tag. I was in a restaurant the other day. The, 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 uh, the, 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 there was no price tag. Said, uh, you know, the price tag was going to be changing as the market changed. Um, crazy. Um, Florida real estate, rising land prices um, actually encourage people to borrow money and buy yet more land. And the borrowers expect the land value to increase and then they make money on down the road. So higher prices are leading to more borrowing, which is leading to higher prices and more borrowing. And as long as this thing spins, it's going to depend upon cheap debt. But you're going to have cheap debt sustained by printing money that's not backed up by anything. So <clears throat> you got a lot of bubbles here. You got a lot of bubbles that could actually bust. And Florida real estate is one of them. Although one of the kickers in this is that the other states, the Democrat states are being mismanaged so badly that we're seeing this influx of people coming here. And the reason these realtors are selling things and having two and three people bid on the houses at more than the asking price is because where these people came from who were buyers, this, this is still dirt cheap in Florida. Um, 500,000 here would be a million where they came from. So uh, <clears throat> this, is, this is where we are right now. Um, we're, we're, in a, we're in a banking bubble crisis, according to Hornig, and it's a long article. I, I've studied it, um, and it, you know, it's too long and lengthy and detailed to go into here. But um, th th you, can, you can see it. And the bottom line is, <clears throat> by the way, entitlements, I want to talk real quickly about entitlements. They don't go away. Entitlements always grow and grow and grow. Let me see my time here. Where am I? Well, I'm going to have to save that for tomorrow. Entitlements always grow and grow and grow. You know, this is the active fertile mind of Professor Warthog here as he tries to determine for himself what the true narrative is of the country. And I'd share that with my students who tune into the show and in hopes that somehow, some way, it helps you understand too. Have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.